Welcome this morning. Glad you're here. If you got to be part of the 36 hours of prayer, well done. If you missed out, check out the next one. Thanks for those who organized it as well. On Thursday night, um, we actually had our second regroup night for the year. We looked at our, our vision and our mission and what we're existing for over the next five plus years. If you'd like to find out more information about that, because um, some person talked for a while and there was lots of information. And so if you want to listen to that again, you can. It'll be online this week. You can grab one of the cards that talks about that on the way out on the tables this morning. Could you get a more awkward kind of moment? Have you ever been in a situation where you've gone into some family that you've been invited to be part of their, maybe their Christmas dinner, maybe it's been an occasion where all of the uncles and aunties and cousins and nieces and nephews have all being gathered in the one place, and you've just been watching and observing um, kind of the family dynamics. There's some things which you think, oh, that's a little bit awkward. We wouldn't do that in our family. And other times you go, actually, that, that's kind of something we would do in our family. And, and afterwards, you've kind of just sort of observed the behaviors and the attitudes, and, and you've kind of, in one of those moments, you've asked a simple question, yeah? You... You actually haven't understand all the different dynamics, but just in the quiet, you sort of stop for a moment and you ask a, a simple question that goes something like this. Um, why is it that um, such and such over there in the family, Uncle Sid doesn't seem to talk too much to, to Cousin Joe? Yeah, I, I noticed that they kind of make beelines past one another, you know, in the... And then that simple question of yours has been met with this just silence. Yeah. And after a long explanation from the people about why they, the, the dynamic of that, they kind of exhale and go, well, you know, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> it's really complicated. Yeah. Can anyone here this morning, um, you don't have to scratch too deep, uh, to be in a situation when you dig a little bit back into cousins, nieces, nephews, family, extended family, you don't have to dig too deep before there's some kind of story that if someone asks a simple question, well, why is it that that person, when they have a little bit too much to drink, they, they speak really loudly and everyone else kind of just anchors around them and they kind of operate in this particular way? Or why is it when that person walks in the room, the other people kind of walk out? And you, you don't have to scratch too deep in anyone's families to know that there's situations that if you ask the question why, there would be those awkward moments of silence and inevitably someone would probably say, it's complicated. Anyone here? I remember being at my granddad's funeral many years ago now and we turned up at the funeral to say goodbye to my granddad and there was all these other older folk his age that turned up as well, had no idea who they were. Afterwards, at the wake, we all got together and had some conversation. They looked at us and they said, who are you? And we looked at them and we said, who are you? They said, we're your granddad's stepbrothers and sisters. <laughs> had no idea. Three months before he died, he sat my father down and said, by the way, I suppose I should tell you about the rest of the family. <laughs> and there we were. We were sitting there and going, oh my goodness, we had no Idea. I remember calling up one of my, it was one of his stepsisters, and uh, I called up and I said, you know what, I've just discovered because of the funeral that, that there was all these other people in the family, and I'd love to get to know these other people because I'm curious, you know. And so would it be possible one day if we could kind of organize a time to get together and talk about the family? And, and she said, 
Yeah, that'd be great. We should get together sometime and talk about the family. I said, well, well, well I've got my diary here, funny enough, and I've got a pen in my hand. And How about we just name a time right now that we can sit together and talk about the family? And she said, you know what? We should get together one day and talk about the family. <laughs> I've got no time or date. Still am yet to meet. Why? Because it's complicated. Everyone has a story when you scratch a little deeper of some complicated, don't we? Thing, situation, dynamic, Aunt Bessie, cousin Joe, nephew, niece, uncle, aunt, you name it. It's complicated. And that's the way it can kind of go. Over the next six weeks, what we're starting today in our series called It's Complicated is wanting to unpack a story about one particular family, probably the most famous family in the entire Bible, and we get to kind of access their diary, their family diary, and we get to run with them. And there'll be times along the way over the next six weeks with also the community weekend right in the middle of that, so some Sundays either side, where there'll be times where if you track with this family, you will say, man, it's complicated. <laughs> and just when you thought it was complicated enough, there'll be times where you go, man, it just got real complicated. Yeah. And the reason why I'm wanting to introduce this particular family to us is for two Reasons. The first reason is this, is that we live in a culture these days that has an idealistic distortion towards perfection about the way families should be. Yeah, this is true. An idealistic distortion towards perfection. Did anyone grow up here watching the Brady Bunch? <laughs> anyone here seen the second take or the third take? So that's your age, some people, yeah? See, the idea about the Brady Bunch is that there was this perfect blended family. Yeah, perfect blended family. Marriage again, marriage again, kids come together. And the problem with that TV series was that it raised the bar on what was an idealistic distortion on what perfection should be. It was amazing how these different boys and girls could actually self-regulate their emotions all in one TV episode, yeah? There could be a conundrum, some moral dilemma at the very beginning, and by the end of it, they were all smiling at one another, shaking hands and hugging, yeah? If that wasn't an idealistic distortion, I don't know what was. And then, lo and behold, they had the perfect housemaid, yeah? Her name was Alice. Everyone wanted an Alice, right? I didn't know, I just, yeah. Anyway, too young. But the idea was that Alice would have these perfectly manicured food items, right? She was always cooking up the next thing that they needed just when they were hungry. She could open the refrigerator and produce the food because there was always something there. Yeah, you get me? Then there was an Alice kind of figure. And if you were a person growing up in that era or watching the retake, the second or the third run, you would have a vastly distorted perception of what family life should be like. I just, before I pop every, well, I'll pop some bubbles this morning that was fake, all right? It wasn't true. In fact, the idea behind this idealistic distortion about perfection is raised so high these days that our families, families like you and I, we can get discouraged. In fact, we can fall into what might be the comparison trap or the envy trap or the, um, 
boasting trap, or maybe the one that's just got the failure trap written all over it because your family doesn't match up. So that's the first reason why I want to introduce you to this perfect family in the Bible, the most well-known one, and dig into their diaries over the next six weeks. Second reason is because when you encounter their complications, when you encounter their messes, when you encounter their heartache and pain, you might be able to also discover that there is a God who's willing to be involved in the mess and the discourse of our very own lives. Welcome this morning to the six weeks of unpacking some complications in people's lives. And if you want to travel with us, you can just download right now Version Bible and we're going to look at a passage of the Bible beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 37 and you can follow with us this morning. Are you ready to go? You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Right, here's where it starts. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan, also known as modern-day Israel. Jacob's second name after he had wrestled with God was given was called Israel, hence the name Israel today. This is the account of Jacob's family line. It seems really comfortable, nice and easy, doesn't it? Steady Sunday morning, sunny outside, everything's good to go, right? This section here is taken from Genesis 37 and... For anyone who kind of is an historian, historically kind of minded person, this is probably in the era of the Middle Bronze Age, about 1900 BC. Scholars are conflicted about it, where exactly, so let's just for this morning say it's around that time and that place and that period of history. These passages like this are actually firstly Jewish scriptures. Jesus would have had these passages, these scriptures, this Bible, if you like, as he grew up. In fact, being Jewish, foremostly, this is actually preeminently beginning is Jewish kind of Bible. Uh, the, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, um, all of their Bible put together is called the Torah or called instruction. And here's Jacob living around 1,900 years BC, and we're about to learn about his uncomplicated family. Here we go. Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Simple enough, isn't it? We're introduced to the family diary. Joseph has some brothers and there's some wives involved. Okay. Problem with this situation, though, is that Bilhah and Zilpah are not the only two involved. In fact, Joseph's mum is called Rachel, and she has an older sister called Leah. And Leah and Rachel aren't always the best of friends. In fact, the way it worked is Joseph's dad, Jacob, went to get a wife from his uncle's family, and his uncle's name was Laban. Laban actually had two daughters, Leah and Rachel, and he really wanted to pass off the older one before the younger. So Jacob goes over and works for Laban seven years, and just on the night he's going to get married to the love of his life, Rachel. During the course of the wedding ceremony, he has too much to drink, and his father-in-law Laban tricks him and pushes Leah into his marriage tent. In the morning time, when all of the alcohol's worn off, he wakes up and realizes, I've been duped. I've got the wrong woman. So he goes back to his father-in-law now and says, you gave me the wrong woman. 
I, I, I really, really, really love Rachel, and I don't really, really, really love Leah. And he said, well, that's okay, but the, our custom here is to marry off the oldest and then the next one in line. So you can have her too. You just have to work for me another seven years. And he agrees. And he marries Rachel soon after and then works the seven years. So that's just the start of it, okay? So one man, the two sisters. Well, it seems that Leah starts producing all of these babies. And she's popping out babies whilst Rachel is popping out none. And so there's this kind of rivalry that begins to form between the two sisters. And in that culture, to have children, and this is my protege, and I'm giving my husband these children, is, is really high, high, high on the agenda. And so they start to have a sibling rivalry. Well, Rachel, what does she do? She's so desperate. One day she takes her maidservant by the name of Bilhah and gives her to her husband, Jacob, who dutifully salutes and says, yes, wife. I will have another wife. I kind of appeals to his alpha male kind of, but he realized it's going to get complicated. And so now Bilhah is having children to Jacob and Rachel's thinking, well, at least I can have children to my husband through my maidservant. Sound complicated? Then it gets even more complicated because Leah stops popping out the kids and realizes, hey, I've stopped producing children here. So I actually want to keep on producing to be the number one alpha female in the family. And so she gets her maidservant and brings her, Zilpa, to Jacob and says, you start to have children to Zilpa now so I can have more kids with you. And he dutifully salutes and says, yes, ma'am, alpha male type, but it gets complicated. She produces two more children, right? And then at the end of all of that, the woman he really, 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 really loves, Rachel, she finally starts to have children. The first one is Joseph. The second one, later down the track, Benjamin. Wow. Did that just get complicated? Now let's read this again. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about his stepbrothers and sisters. Could you imagine the dynamics? Not only the tension between sisters, but maidservants and sisters and now stepbrothers and all of that. Could you imagine? <laughs> it gets complicated. Does anyone here ever know what the name for someone who does this kind of tail-bearing called? It's an Australian term we use. It's called a, a dobber. Yeah, does anyone here like a dobber? No one likes a dobber, right? But what we discover about Joseph, he's 17 and he's a dobber. You know, I actually have people say to me, years after the fact, they said, I've heard people say to me, you know, when I was young, um, I used to dob on my brother. Uh, 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 he used to walk in the room and I, start, I would start to cry. And my mother would come in and say, why are you crying? And she would say, it's because he hit me. And the brother has not done anything. And she would say, turn to the brother and say, did you hit her? And he would say, no. And she'd say, you're lying. And then he'd get punished. You know, does anyone have a brother or sister kind of like that, work that way? Dobbers, right? <laughs> Dobbers. <laughs> complicated. It just gets complicated, doesn't it? Man. 
So here we have this dynamic in this family that's just on parade for everyone right now because it's in the diary of the, the Bible, the book of the Bible, and it's this, this tension that just builds up within the family. He brings a bad report because he is a dobber, a very un-Australian thing to do. Then we read on and it says this, Now Israel, the other name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age by the woman he really, 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 really loved, Rachel, and he made an ornate robe for him to wear. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. This father Jacob, or Israel, does something that no father should ever do. Play favorites. And what's more... He makes it obvious to everyone else by buying him special things, little trinkets, little clothes to wear, little items to show everyone else that he is daddy's favorite. Does that send a ripple through all of the stepbrothers in the family? Absolutely. Every time they see him and they see him wearing that robe, it just sort of plunges a knife into their little stomach twists it in their heart and just reminds them again that they are second favorite to their, or third or fourth, to their father. Now, occasionally I've heard that children will come to their parents and they will ask them the question one day when there's other siblings involved, Dad, Mom, who do you love the most in this family, right? Because their little hearts haven't grown enough to realize that you can fit more in there than just, so they'll come and they'll ask, who do you love the most, Right? And you know that you really want to tell them the truth, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of complicated. So you just say to them something like, you know, mommy, daddy loves all of you exactly the same, exactly the same, right? What you really want to tell them is, actually, it's the child who's been most compliant for the last hour in my life. That's what I really want to say, all right? But I can't say that, so I'm going to say, I love you all the same, exactly the same, and they kind of walk away going, that's, that's funny, that's curious, but hmm, that's nice, they love us all the same, right? <laughs> not so with Jacob and not so with Joseph. It's complicated. And then we dig a little bit deeper, and this is what happens. Joseph one night has a dream. Now, for anyone who lives in this part of the world, and, and even it's true today, dreaming is not just dreaming, but dreaming is a way that God might communicate to you, and so it has even more emphasis. You and I might wake up going, mm, that was a funny dream, that was a bit weird, that was strange. Think nothing more of it. In this culture, though, it meant more. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. What was the dream? He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> His brother said to him, because they understood exactly what this dream was meaning, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So not only is Joseph a young 17-year-old who's a dobber, but now also he's a bragger. God's going to have me doing something special and all of my brothers are going to bow down to me. He mightn't have meant it intentionally. He might have just been spouting off as a young, naive kind of person. But what did it do to all of the attitudes of his brothers? Knife in the heart again. Turn the twist again. White knuckles. Angry. 
dreamer. Then, if you didn't think it got bad enough, Joseph has another dream. Joseph had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were not only angry, now they were jealous also. But his father kept the matter in his mind. Could you imagine? Now turn up to the family gathering at Christmas. Now turn up to that occasion where all of the uncles and aunties and brothers and sisters and cousins and nieces and nephews are. And you just observe the family life here for just a moment. You could imagine, though, after a period of time, when you observe their behavior, if you simply asked the question, hey, what's the deal with Joseph? How that wouldn't send a ripple through the entire household such that they would stop. Some of them would grind their teeth. Some of them would turn and walk away. Some of them would just clench their fists and say, Joseph, you want to know about Joseph? Until finally someone would say, after a long, long story, they might say something like, it's complicated. (laughs) It's really complicated. You see, I love these stories in the Bible that we're going to unpack for the next five weeks. Because if any of us here have ever experienced that phrase, it's complicated, or felt that way about our lives, our families' lives, the lives of people around about us, then this series is for you. Because what we discover along the way is that there's a God who actually wants to be involved in and through some of the most complicated, messiest times of our family's lives. In fact, it was Joseph's great-grandfather who God appeared to. His name was Abraham, and he said this. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Sounds like a lot of good blessing, doesn't it? What we fail to realize amongst all of this blessing is that Abraham had no idea how complicated and through heartache and difficulty and challenge and messiness and pain and outright sin and wrong, God was going to continue to be faithful to bring about this promise he had made to Abraham that would one day save and rescue the entire world Through this family, probably one of the most dysfunctional families you will ever bump into in the pages of the Bible from this place. Now, some people here think that God's always just about good, blessing, blessing, blessing. But I want you to understand that amongst God's working in the complicated things of our lives, 
he can bring good and he can give hope, but it's not always going to be easy. So this morning, if you want to travel with us over the next five weeks and meet this complicated family, then I'd encourage you to do so with an open mind and an open heart. Not thinking that God's going to fix it all and make it all just fine, but through heartache, God can speak to folk like you and I in our complications in our lives. Pete's going to come and we're going to sing a song in a moment. But as you do, I just want to ask you, I wonder if you hear this morning, and that word, it's complicated, is just posted all over your family life. And I wonder if you've reached a place with your situation where you even might ask questions like, God, do you care? And are you there? And can you really bring about something of good in the midst of all of this complication? Complication. And the promise to Abraham and the promise to anyone who would turn to God will discover through the story of Joseph is that he wants to enter in and be part of and speak life into. Doesn't mean it's all going to be smoothed over, but it means that there's a God that cares. These guys are going to sing a song and it's called, I'm no longer a slave to fear. You could put the words in there, I, I don't want to be a slave to the comparison trap. I don't want to be a slave to the failure trap. I don't want to be a slave to the envy trap. I don't want to be a slave to the perfection trap. I want to be free to allow God to work in me. So I'm not always comparing and failing to measure up. And I walk my race with my time with God. If you're here this morning and any of that connects with you, then as Pete sings, I would invite you to pray. Maybe it's a simple prayer that goes something like this. God, over these next six weeks, would you do a work in me and my complicated family? That's all you need to pray. And that would you dare to travel and stick with us over the coming time? So as we unpack the life and the story of Jesus, that God, Joseph, that God might speak to you and in your family and in your heart and in your mind.